This message by Mike Pluniak was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning at Cornerstone Church. My name is Mike, one of the pastors here. And you can open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. If you need a Bible this morning, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you a Bible which you can keep and take with you. I want everybody to have access to God's Word and be able to read God's Word. We're back in our series, walking through this letter from the Apostle Paul to the Philippians. We've been walking through it verse by verse, and after today, after this Sunday, we only have three more messages in this letter that has served us so well. This morning we're looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This is what God's Word says to us today. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. God's Word is more valuable than gold. May we treasure it today. Our text this morning in these two verses has two simple, not confusing, easy to understand all-encompassing, life-transforming commands. He tells them two simple things. Think about these things and practice these things. In these two verses, there is something everyone can apply every day of their life. It really is a text with universal application for us. Because each one of us, each and every day, I believe, are thinking. We are using our minds and dwelling on things and replaying conversations and considering all this information coming before us. And each one of us, each and every day, we have a practice. We have a way we live life. We have a rhythm to what we do and how we act and how we live out the Christian life. And Paul, in one of his final exhortations to the church in Philippi, to this church that he loves, 
He wants them to know that the Gospel informs and transforms how they think and how they live. And in the context of what we've been preaching through in this letter, Paul has already reminded them that Jesus took the form of a servant. That He humbled Himself to the point of death on a cross for their sins. And He has been highly exalted. That Jesus has the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's reminded them what Jesus has done for them and the transforming effect it has on every area of their life, on their thoughts and their actions and their deeds. Every area of life is informed and transformed by the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Abraham Kuyper famously said it like this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Includes our thoughts and our actions and our lives. Because Christ has saved us and made us His own, He wants to transform our daily thoughts and our daily lives. And I just want to be up front before we start unpacking this text, that these are two massive categories. Everything we think and everything we do. And these lists that Paul gives us are all encompassing. I mean, he gives us these massive categories to think about. And my prayer this morning is not that we would be able to apply every one of these, but I'm just I'm praying that the Lord will give you one to two things that you can apply to your life this week that can have a transformative effect on your thought life and on your actions. And so while there is universal application in this text, and we're going to walk through each one of these categories, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to help you with just a few things that you can apply this week from God's Word that can affect your joy and your peace and your, the presence of God being with you. So this morning we're going to look at these two commands in two points today. And then we're going to finish with this promise in verse 9 that the God of peace will be with us. So point number one, gospel-informed thinking. Gospel-informed thinking. In verse 8, he gives us this simple command. Think about these things. This list of eight things that he gives us to think about. He wants us to use our minds for God's glory. When I was a kid, there was a massive anti-drug campaign. I think it was part of the Just Say No campaign. And it had this 30-second PSA commercial, this public service announcement commercial that I have never forgotten to this day. The commercial shows a man in a kitchen with an egg in his hand. And he holds up the egg and he says, this is your brain. Okay, tracking with you so far. And then he points 
to a frying pan, and he says, this is drugs. And then he takes the egg, and he cracks it and starts frying it in the frying pan, and he says, this is your brain on drugs. Any questions? As a little kid, I thought, nope, I think I get the point. I mean, this was on Saturday morning cartoons when they had Saturday morning cartoons. I was eating my fruity pebbles, watching Alvin and the Chipmunks, and then my brain is being fried on drugs. So <laughs> it, it got my attention. They even had posters in my school of eggs in a frying pan, and I'd walk down the hallway just, Ugh, let's go back to my fruity pebbles this morning, you know? I, I, the, the, the goal was, I think, somewhat to shock kids into not wasting their minds. And even as a kid, it, it worked. It, it put fear in me. Even as a kid, I understood. I think kids understand our minds matter. What we think matters. They are important. And in verse 8, God wants to inform us how not to waste our minds. He doesn't want us to waste our minds, waste our thoughts. The gospel transforms even how we think, and he gives us these eight categories to think about to fill our minds. So he just told us two weeks ago, Bill preached from verse 6, he told us not what not to think about when he said, do not be anxious about anything. So don't be anxious. Don't think about this. And now in verse 8, he tells us what we are to think about, what we are to set our minds on and fill our thoughts with. He wants us to think about what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. And I have a feeling that if most of us cataloged our thoughts this past week, these categories might make up a smaller percentage of our thoughts than we would like. And I just thought, just imagine, take that list and just imagine if we filled our minutes and our days and hours and weeks thinking about these things. It would have a transformative effect on our joy would have a transformative effect on our worship, our encouragement, how we treat and interact with others. It would transform our lives, beginning with our thoughts. So let's spend a few minutes walking through these categories and thinking about what might be in these categories that God wants us to think about. So he starts in verse 8. Look at verse 8. Saying, finally, brothers, whatever is true... True things are things conforming to reality as defined by God. We live in a world of lies and half-truths. There are all kinds of worldviews at play around us with those who do not believe in God as the Creator, as authoritative in our life, who do not believe that sin is our deepest problem, who do not believe that Christ and His atonement is the answer. It's why missions is a wonderful thing because we get to tell people, here's the truth. Here's what God says is true. This world is the domain of Satan. We know Satan is the father of lies. That's all he can do is lie. 
while God is a God of truth. It's, it's impossible for God to lie. Whatever is true is what conforms to what God says about the world, not public opinion. Which is one of the reasons, one of the goals of our year focusing on a heart for Scripture with the Bible reading plan and the weekly videos and the cornerstone used on Saturday morning and, and all this effort. We just want to fill our minds with the truth of God's Word. We just want to come and sit under God's Word day by day and week by week. And we want to encourage you to keep going and reading the Word because we need truth. We need to fill our minds with truth from God so that we can think about whatever is true. Listen to what D.A. Carson says about this. D.A. Carson says, One of the sovereign remedies against sin is to spend much time Thoughtful time, meditative time in the Scriptures. For it is impossible to get rid of the trash in our minds without replacing it with an entirely different way of thinking. He wants them to think about whatever is true. We want to be filled, filling our minds with truth. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just. These two categories have to do with what's right in the sight of God and men. We want to avoid dishonorable things, shameful things, wicked and unjust things. And as I thought about it, you know, often I think our minds can focus on and replay dishonorable and wicked things. They, they, can, they can take a hold of our minds at times. Even little acts of injustice or unkindness, things that frustrate us when, when we feel like someone has wronged us. We think about them. Little offenses, little comments people make, even conversations where someone brings a criticism or a critique to you. I mean, those things can just be like pebbles in the shoes of our mind. They just stick there and we play them over and over and we think about them. And have you ever replayed a conversation and had an argument with someone in your mind? You know, who usually wins that argument in your mind? I don't think I've ever lost an argument with someone when it's in my thought life. I always, but we just replay and we think, oh, if I could tell them this or if they only knew this, we just want to vindicate ourselves. I don't, I don't think these are honorable thoughts. God doesn't want us just replaying these dishonorable things or shameful things or offenses in our mind. He wants us to think about what's honorable, what's just. He's been promoting throughout this whole letter. He wants them to be humble towards one another. We're going to hit this in a minute with lovely and commendable, but what we want to we have our thoughts go to what's the honorable thing? What's the, what's the just thing? What's the right thing? Fill our minds with these thoughts. Whatever is pure. So we have whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever is pure. In a media saturated world, I think this one's a challenge because we live, we live in an age of pervasive impurity. It's just all around us. I mean, it's just. It's so easy to access now impure things. Have you set your minds on pure things 
or impure things this week. Last relay last week for our youth ministry, we sang a song during the meeting, which we sing on Sundays sometimes, called Christ Our Glory. And there's a line that just struck me from that song. It said, We look for a city that hands have not raised. We long for a country that sin has not stained. And as we were singing that, the thought just affected me. It's almost hard to imagine a country unstained by sin. And I just was reminded singing that song, it does exist. There is a place that is pure and holy and righteous and we are going to go there because a Savior went before us and He is preparing this place for us. This is, this is the country we are looking towards. This is what we are to think about. This is what, why we're to guard our thoughts and our minds against impure things, against loving the impurity of this world because God is preparing us to be in heaven with Him which is filled with purity and joy and righteousness and just a side note it made me just remember what a gift worship music is to us because it directs our thoughts to these things it gets us thinking about godly things and pure things and remembering Jesus Christ and what he did for us it's a gift to us you know it helps to think about pure things it helps to have worship music in our homes and in our commutes and our drives to to play these songs to lift our gaze to the lord pure things we want to think about whatever is pure and good and right he says whatever is lovely whatever is commendable i think these have to do with how we think about others, the way we view other people around us. Listen to this quote by Matthew Harmon. This is in his commentary on Philippians. He says, in the Philippian context, this word may be particularly chosen to call that body of believers to focus on the grace of God at work in their fellow believers rather than fixate on their obvious shortcomings. As such, it is another way of counting others more significant than yourselves. And this is what he says, we must not allow a fellow believer's weaknesses to define our opinion of him or her. We are to think about whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable in others. There's a classic Peanuts cartoon that opens with Linus curled up in a chair, reading a book, while Lucy is standing behind him with a funny look on her face. It's very strange, she says. It happens just by looking at you. What happens, Linus asks in his little innocent way. Lucy calmly answers, I can feel a criticism coming on. I thought that captures it so well. You know, we just have this amazing capacity to criticize. You know, you just look and just, I just feel a criticism coming on right now. We can all sit and we can criticize each other. We can, we can focus on weaknesses and shortcomings. And, and, 
There is plenty to criticize in every single one of us. We could just go around and line up and let's just spend the day criticizing one another. Remember the context of this letter. He's addressing in chapter 4 a conflict in the church. These two women are having a conflict and he keeps appealing for unity and humility and, and having one mind and thinking alike and having one spirit and have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. He wants, he wants their mind to be transformed by the gospel and that affects the way they look at one another. They're not focused on their weaknesses and sins and shortcomings and failures. They're focused on the grace of God at work in each other's lives. It's a miracle of grace. We look around and we just go, that's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. Yes, you have shortcomings and I have shortcomings and we have failures and weaknesses, but that doesn't define our opinion of one another. We're to think about what is lovely and what is commendable. I love that, I love that quote. We, we can't fixate on obvious shortcomings. Our shortcomings are obvious. It doesn't take a lot of work. It doesn't take a lot of diligence to find shortcomings in one another. I feel like that comes naturally. The work of God, what, what happens is when we realize grace is at work here. Recently, there was a podcast that was very popular among Christians. And over many episodes and hours, it, an, it analyzed a church that had a scandalous ending. And it spent so much time talking about the failures of the leaders and the sins of those who failed behind the scenes. And it was like, it was like a car wreck. People, you know, they, they didn't want to listen to it, but they also couldn't look away. It was like a car wreck. And something about that, it draws us in. We, we, we love scandals and we love hearing about failures and it's something about our, our nature. We enjoy hearing about those things. But what's the effect on us? Is that what we are to set our minds on? That's, that's the question. We're drawn to things like that, but the problem with podcasts like that is it can breed self-righteousness in our hearts. You know, we focus on what's not commendable in others and we feel better about ourselves and it also it makes people skeptical you know we, we, we anytime there's a failure or a failure in leadership they want to broadcast it and it makes people skeptical and just I was listening and I thought man there are just hundreds and thousands of faithful hard-working pastors and servants of God let's Let's think about all of them we can commend. Let's spend hours and days analyzing and thinking about the commendable and lovely work of faithful servants of God. I was reminded just thinking about that of our children's ministry workers this morning, you know, as we come and we get to participate and, and hear, they came to church to serve this morning. That's lovely. Maybe not for them in this moment, but that's a lovely thing they're doing. That's commendable. God would have us think about those things. There's a term we use around here called evidence of grace. I had a new guy recently say, what is this evidence of grace you guys are talking about? Where do you get that? This, this is what we're trying to do. We're looking for evidence. We're like, we're like detectives just looking for where is their grace? Where can I point out grace? Where can I think about 
the grace of God at work in other people's lives. And if you start looking around, you're going to see it everywhere. Man, you're going to see there are just tons of lovely servants, commendable, faithful, hardworking servants of God. And when we think about that, if that's what's controlling our thought life, just imagine the effect that has on our friendships, on our marriages. Just imagine the effect it has on the church when everybody's aware, grace of God, grace of God at work. We're pointing it out. We're encouraging one another. This is what Paul wants them to think about. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, commendable. And then he says these, he changes from whatever to if. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise. I think these two categories typically are applied to God. God is the excellent one. God is the only one truly worthy of praise. But in the New Testament, we also find these terms applied to people. It's not speaking of worship. It's speaking about applauding them. It's speaking about recognizing anything consistent with God's character. Anything consistent with God's character is excellent. And anything God approves of is worthy of praise. So there's these six categories and then there's these two that are just capturing everything else, every other category that he doesn't have time to list here. Anything consistent with God's character and anything that is just God approves of this. Anytime you see that, he wants you to think about it, applaud it, think about those things. And I love this command. Look at verse 8. That whole list he gives us. And then here's the command for us. Think about these things. It's important to note that Paul believes we can decide what to think about. We're not just spectators or bystanders in our thought life. Okay, it feels that way at times. Like thoughts are just coming and I don't have any control over them. That, that's not what the Bible says. We can use self-control. We can choose what to dwell on and what to think about. We're to be active. We're to be aggressive. We're not to be passive in our thought life. We are to be attacking it and going after it and, and finding these categories and disciplining ourselves and controlling our thoughts and thinking about these things. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones I think he says this in a really winsome way. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? I think that's so true. We just, we become passive and our thoughts are just going and going and going. And we're just listening to ourselves and anxious thoughts and replaying conversations and dishonorable thoughts and unjust thoughts and, and criticisms. And we're just playing them over in our mind. And, and he says you need to start talking to yourself. Reminding yourself what's true. Going to God's Word. Preaching the Gospel to yourself. Think about these things that God gives us in His Word. And this word for think... It's an interesting word here. It's not really used many other times in the New Testament. It's an accounting term. It means take number of these things. Keep a record of these things. Take anything in this list that you can find and credit to the bank account of your mind. 
Anytime you find anything lovely, true, honorable, just, and you think about it and you meditate on it and you applaud it and you celebrate it, you are adding it to the bank account of your mind. It's, it's a credit of encouragement. And every time we think about and we dwell on untrue things and dishonorable things and unjust things and impure things and corrupt, unworthy things, it's like a debt in our thought life. So as you look at the balance of your mind, the bank account of your mind, have you built up savings or are you in debt? Because Paul would say, in Christ, we have an inheritance. We can think about these things. We can be encouraged and be filled with true, lovely, commendable things. What we set our minds on and our hearts on, it shapes our joy. It shapes how we speak. It builds the church for the glory of God when we think about these things. So the first thing he tells us in verse 8 is think about these things. Gospel-informed thinking. Point number two, example-inspired living. In verse 9, he gives us the second imperative. Practice these things. He's talking about the way we live. Each and every one of us have a practice we do every day. We have habits. There's a certain way that we live life. And Christ has a claim on our thought life. And Christ has a claim on how we live our lives as well. And Paul directs them to his teaching and also to his example. He tells them, remember my example and practice these things yourself. I remember being a brand new Christian in VFC my freshman year of college. Hearing the gospel and God saving me by His grace. And I had a brand new desire to honor God with my life. He had saved me from my sins. I was miserable in my sin. He filled me with joy. And I just had this desire. I, I, I want to serve God. I want to live for God. I want to honor God. I had no idea at all what that meant. I just knew it was a new desire and something needed to change in my life. And I had all kinds of questions. What, what does it look like to be a Christian student now? And what does it look like to do devotions? And what in the world is a quiet time? I'd never heard of that before. I'd never really read God's Word before. What does it look like to be a good friend and fellowship and to work hard for the Lord? What does it look like to pursue a relationship that honors the Lord? What does it mean to be a Christian, Christian husband and a Christian dad? And what, I, I had no idea what these things were. I remember going to my first vision quest. And there was a, an older guy that was in the same room as me. And he asked me, he said, hey, do you want to get up in the morning and go down to the beach and read our Bibles together? And I remember each morning, my first vision quest, we just got up before breakfast and we sat on the beach and he just, he showed me where to read. He helped me read God's word. He kind of showed me, here's how you think about this and here's what it means. And we would pray together for a few minutes and I was just learning from his example. If you had talked to someone who knew me that first year, Almost everybody would tell you I didn't talk much. My community group, I don't think I said a word for about a year in my community group. Probably because I had nothing good to say. I didn't even know what categories we were in, but I was just watching. 
And man, I, they thought, he doesn't want to be here. He's not saying a word. He's sitting there in the corner, you know. It's kind of what I look like. But I was over there just soaking it up. And I was watching a, a Christian husband cherish his wife. Man, I took note of that. And a Christian dad engaged with his children and providing spiritual leadership. And man, I, I learned more that year. These were all new to me, and I was just learning their example inspired me. And I thought, I want to be like that. I want to learn where you got that, and I want to be like that. In verse 9, this is what Paul's encouraging the Philippian church. What you've learned, what Paul taught them when he was with them, what you received. They, they, they've, they've heard this. They heard Paul's voice. You know, what, what you've seen in me, the example they saw in him practice these things. God gives us His authoritative Word in our lives. He gives us the Holy Spirit to counsel us and guide us. And He gives us the example of others to follow. God has sovereignly put us into a community, into relationships. There are people around you God has brought into your life to inspire you with their example. You've probably heard the saying, do as I say, not as I do. Paul would totally disagree with that. He says, do as I said and as I did. You saw the, the, the style of life I had. Practice these things. And in verse 9, he doesn't give us a list, okay? There's no list for us like he had in verse 8. Verse 8, we have this list. Okay, think about these things, this thing, this thing. Pure, lovely, commendable, true. In verse 9, Paul's not with us today. We can't follow his example, but he gave us this church and this body and others around us so we might follow their example. He doesn't give us in verse 9 this list of instructions. He gives us a life lived before us to follow. He wants them to imitate his example. And in Philippians, we've already come across this several times, haven't we? In chapter 2, he holds out the example of Jesus. He's held out the example of Timothy later in chapter 2. He's held out the example of Epaphroditus. And he's held out his own example in Philippians 3.17. He said, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Watch them. Learn, receive, benefit from the example of others. And I understand, okay? I understand all of us. Every single person is different. We have different giftings. We have different callings, different temptations, different family dynamics, different circumstances, different jobs. You can't just take someone else's life and their daily calendar and just scratch out their name and like put your name on the top and think that's now my life. You know, in college, the people I was learning from and continue to learn from were very different from me. And they weren't without sin. Neither was Paul or Timothy or Epaphroditus. They were not sinless examples. But what they had was faith and humility and love. They had these virtues. And so while they couldn't just stamp their life onto their, on top of their own life. They could learn from their examples and be inspired to serve God. Think about just when Paul 
first went to that church to Philippi. Remember that from Acts chapter 16? When he was arrested and thrown in jail and he's in prison with Silas praying and singing hymns to God. That's an example to follow. That's faith. Remember Timothy. He was genuinely concerned for their welfare. He didn't seek after his own interests. He laid down his life to serve them. That's an example to follow. Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Christ. He was extremely sick, but what he was worried about was them because they heard that he was sick. And so he was worried that they were worried because they heard that he was sick. And so he's telling Paul, send me to them. Even though I almost died, I want to go comfort them because they're worried about me. That's an example to follow. Paul is saying, look at their faith. Look at their humility. Look at their joy. Look at their sacrifice. Look at their courage. Being in prison and singing hymns and spiritual songs to God. That's what we're to implement. Follow that example. Be inspired. Apply that to your life. And I would say on top of that, you know, it's okay to steal the practices of others. If you see somebody doing something that you think, that's really wise and helpful. Just steal it. They probably stole it from someone else themselves. That's how it works. They learn from an example and they think, that's really helpful. I'm going to do that with my family. And you think, well, that's a great idea. How about I start doing that? You know, you don't even have to give them credit. You just look great. Just steal it. Straight from God's word, you know. Follow their example. Just one bit of application. If there's somebody, and, and this room is filled with godly examples. This room is filled with individuals who have inspired me by their lives and their faith. And no one without sin. We're all sinners, but man, faith has been demonstrated. Through all kinds of trials and suffering and situations, they have trusted in the Lord and followed Him. And it has inspired me. Think of someone you respect. Just think of someone right now. Think of someone who's here that you respect. And Grab them after the meeting. Reach out to them. Text them this week. Say, can I buy you a coffee? Can I take you out to lunch and just learn from you? There's an area of your life. I've watched you. I see. I see how you parent. I see, man, how you cherish your wife. I see how you serve. I see the faith you've demonstrated through this trial. I'm going through a trial. I need faith. Can I grab lunch with you and just learn from your example? What got you through? Where did you go in God's Word? What helped you in that moment? Take them to lunch Take notes and then do that. Follow that example. Be inspired. Practice these things. It's so helpful. As I said at the beginning, there's, there's universal application for us this morning. I mean, all of our thoughts, everything we do, but I think the goal of this text is just to build us together in unity. Think these lovely, commendable thoughts. See the grace of God at work in those around you. Practice these things. Follow their example and the promise for us this morning when we think about these things and we practice these things in verse 9 look at the end of verse 9 practice these things and the God of peace will be with you back in verse 7 it was the peace of God that we got when we prayed to God and we rejoiced and gave thanks to God. And now in verse 9, it's the God of peace 
who will be with us. There's many attributes Paul could have referenced here. He could have said, and the God of righteousness, the God of holiness will be with you, the God of love, the God of omnipotence, the God of mercy will be with you. But he wants us to know he's the God of peace and he's with us. He's not far off. He's not distant. He is near to us. When we When we seek to think about these things and we seek to practice these things, God is with us when we try to apply His Word. Like I said, there's universal application. Hundreds of things in our thought life and in our practices that we could change. But I think God this morning wants us to focus on just a few, just a couple, maybe Maybe it's focusing on what's commendable and lovely instead of being critical towards others. Maybe it's focusing on what is true rather than believing lies. Maybe it's thinking about what's pure rather than thinking about impurity. Maybe it's going to someone you respect and finding ways you can learn from their example. But whatever the application we bring is, there's a promise as we go this week that God will be with you. He will help you apply these verses. He will help you in your thought life. He will help you as you try to live out this and practice these things and apply them to your life. And as you fall short and you try again and again and as your thoughts go astray and you just start reining them in, the God of peace will be with you because we have a Savior. We have one interceding for us. We have one, as we sang about, and as Bill reminded us in announcements, who died for our sins and rose again. And the gospel transforms every area of our life, how we think and how we live, and He will be with us. Let's pray. Father, there is so much in Your Word that we can apply to our lives. And so I pray for this church this morning, I pray for everybody here, that You would give them wisdom by Your Spirit and give them grace this week, Father, to apply these verses to their life. I pray for our thought life. I pray for the examples around us. Help us, Lord. We want to honor You. We want to live for You. We want to give You glory. We love You, Lord, because You first loved us. And our desire is to honor You with our thoughts and our lives. So help us, Lord. Be with us this week as we seek to honor You with our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Mike Pluniak during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.